watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, does that silence it a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Fit. Pop pass up in the middle. Tucker's got, got it. Room to run. 15-10. Hit and in. Bradley touchdown. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes a catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On The Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. Here on ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1 ESPN Radio, you Rome heard a 96.5 FM heard wherever you are, whatever you're doing on the ESPN app. I like to see this on my in-studio thermometer here, a mostly clear, mostly clear, 59 degrees. Just chilly enough that uh, it's so appropriate that the first time I had to go dig out the ice scraper in the garage, I was taking my daughter to school this morning, get in the car, uh-oh, got to scrape that, go dig it out of the garage. It's the night after a Syracuse basketball game. I mean, you just can't line it up any better than that. Syracuse basketball has entered the chat, so enjoy these nice sunny Mostly clear days before those dark days settle in. It's getting dark at 5 o'clock, and uh, it's basketball season, right? That just uh, clicks right in. But football still very much in the discussion as well, and we will get to both of those things certainly uh, throughout the afternoon here. You're welcome to join at 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, and the live chat at QSportsTalk.com. So today, what's that? Listen, guys, we've been telling you about this. You just You just got to get in on the cool kids club. But for those of you that need a little refresher here, QSportsTalk.com. It is a magical website where you can watch the show. Yes, you can watch a radio show. Modern technology. It's a beautiful thing. We bought a camera and everything. You can chat throughout the show. So if you call and give an opinion, it comes and goes. It's on the radio. That's great, and we appreciate that. But you can opine as much as you'd like in the live chat. You don't even have to discuss what I'm talking about. Half the time, that's what's going on in that chat. They just live in a world of their own. So you can do that. When we go to radio commercial breaks, the audience at QSportsTalk.com does not. We keep the mics going. We have conversations with you, exclusive content. Tommy will think of uh, things. Our, our current kind of running gag, if you will, on QSportsTalk.com is Tommy comes in and asks me the first time I did this, which I'm happy to do, but also has made me realize uh, I'm old. <laughs> like I'm now older. As you watch on QSportsTalk.com, I have this gray patch. It's getting bigger and bigger by the day in my hair, and it just makes me be like, oh, Uncle Brent's got to tell stories because I've kind of been around the block a couple of times. Great. So we have fun at QSportsTalk.com, and you should too. All right? So you can check out the show there. Now you know. You're in. You're in the club, man. Next time you're like at an SU game or something, you see somebody that's got that QSportsTalk.com T-shirt. If you subscribe to QSportsTalk.com, we hook you up. 
with that T-shirt. Hey, hey, you're you're in the club. You're in the club. You're in the club. You in the club. All right. It's rock and roll. Uh, two guests joining us today, and we are excited to talk to both of these gentlemen uh, right here in this hour, 420. Uh, the one and only Eric Devendorf is going to join us. Devo, who uh, did a little radio color commentary last night, did a very good job, by the way, hanging with Brian Higgins as Matt Park was doing the ESPN3 broadcast with the former LeMoyne coach, Steve Evans. So we'll talk to Devo and get his first impressions on Syracuse basketball and you know the short-term things and the long-term things. What can this team kind of build into? You know, Devo's gotten a, a peek behind the curtain work with some of these players in the offseason. So maybe some of the things that you saw last night that made you say, whoa, Devo is just kind of like, yeah, I saw that a couple months ago. So we'll get Devo's first thoughts on this team. Devo's always got something going on. We're about to enter that holiday season. I know he's got a Thanksgiving drive coming up. He's going to tell us about the always interesting Eric Devendorf podcast that he does as well. So plenty to get into with our friend Eric Devendorf. He will join us in about 15 minutes here, uh, we will listen into some things Jim Beheim said last night, our first Beheim sound check of the season, and it did not disappoint. We are in midseason form. Beheim certainly on his team and things to look out for there, but opining on Dino Babers and the football team and the decisions being made there and coaching styles. And uh, I've always told your friends, you may be into Squid Game, but the best show on the Internet, the best show in town is the Jim Beheim press conference. So we'll listen into some things from there, and we will listen in to what the head coach of the football team, Dino Babers, had to say. Thanks, Brent. Welcome, Coach. It's presented by CH Insurance. We do it every Thursday here during football season. Don't forget the extended version, the Dino Babers show tonight, Heritage Hill, great spot for food, beverages, scenery, and so much more, and the Dino Babers show Thursdays, which you can hear at 7 o'clock, and you can hear over on Brostat TK99 and here on ESPN Radio AM 1200 as well. So plenty of coach uh, throughout the afternoon, starting with his conversation with us at 520. We'll go uh, into the hot takes world. We'll uh, go on the blind side as usual, and uh, you'll fill in the gaps with all the usual hijinks and tomfoolery that uh, you bring to the program because that's what you do. But certainly uh, we start on the basketball front today and those first impressions. Now, Taking into consideration that was a Division II team that plays the team Syracuse will face in its next ex- exhibition game, LeMoyne, regularly at the Division II level and not necessarily uh, the biggest challengers, literally, for the Orange. But kind of trying to take what we saw last night and putting it into context of what kind of team we could be see forming before our very eyes. So the things that we don't know, the things that we thought we know, right? What was kind of confirmed last night, and we're going to continue to see, this team is going to shoot the ball a lot. If it was a Bond movie, it would be called Live and Die by the Three. So last night, and you've got four players, really, that could kind of take turns here being the leading scorer, depending on who's got the hot hand. Certainly Buddy Bayheim. I think Joe Girard's going to shoot a little less than usual. Jim actually mentioned that last night at his post-game press conference, but can hit the three if open and is not somebody you want to just kind of be hanging out there on the three-point line with nobody playing defense. Jimmy Beheim can certainly stroke the three, but it was Cole Swider that opened the most eyes last night. And this is what we heard about Cole, right? We heard he was a 40% three-point shooter. 
We heard that that's what his role was at Villanova. I think he took uh, he was like fourth in the rotation of players that would do that. But you were impressed by what you saw, and you can't always go by film because those are highlights, and you don't get like the raw game, right? But it was hard not to notice not only his shooting stroke, how smooth it was, how fluid it was. But you're talking about a six nine player, but did a lot of work with the guards and Jerry McNamara over the summer, as we now know. And that's not a guy you want to leave open. That's a guy that can get the hot hand pretty quick. And I'm I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, okay, how many teams really? I mean, once you get into the season, that pre-conference schedule, as we know, is loaded. It is as loaded a pre-conference schedule as I've ever seen. Syracuse play. Now, will all those teams live up to name brand, live up to what we think they are? Of course not, but... The hottest fire makes the strongest deal, and no matter what, it's going to make this team stronger. Even if a couple of those teams aren't as good as we thought or whatever. I mean, that's a schedule to prove your mettle early on. Bottom line, flat out, right? But how many of those teams, and really how many of the ACC teams, can really play defense, can really play in your face, shut off all the spigots here that Syracuse has to put out? can get in and contain Buddy Bayheim's face, can get into and contain Cole Swider, can shut off Joe Girard from shooting the ball, knows and respects that Jimmy Bayheim is lurking out there, and can shut him off. That's a pretty short list of teams that can say, you know what, we can make the fifth or sixth guy on this team beat us. So I think that's something that really jumps out to me. So last night it was Cole Swider. And other nights it's going to be Buddy, and other nights it's going to be a few players, and some nights you're going to be like, well, they didn't shoot threes, and that's why they lost. This team, it's an old expression, but we'll pro- I don't want to say live and die by the three because I think they've got some other options, certainly, but – they are going to shoot a lot. Here's Jim Beheim on Cole Swider specifically. He's a hard worker. He's uh, he he's picks things up. He understands what we're doing, uh, and he can shoot. And he can shoot. And he can shoot. And he can shoot. Okay. The other thing that that jumps out to me, and I I realize the opponent, but just scouting it like you would like an NFL draft analyst or an NBA draft analyst just go over, going over skill sets, looking at players. Jesse Edwards looks so much better now than last year. What held up Jesse a lot last year was just he's getting used to the speed of the game. He's getting used to where he needs to be on the court. It was just thinking too much. That's what will slow down a player. Once they know where to be and how to do it and can execute it and can just play, That's what we saw. Joe Girard, I think, could end up, here's a little bit of a prediction. I think he can end up being top three in the ACC in assists this year, if not lead the league in assists. Jim noted that last night about Joe, by the way, that he will look to distribute a little bit more, will kind of be a point guard, pure point guard. I mean, when Joe was in high school, as everybody knows, the the bedtime stories of Joe Girard, you know, being the all-time leading scorer in the history of New York State, averaging 50 points a game. That's what he had to do. Slowly but surely, as the, the roles evolved, and last year he was kind of mixing in with Kadari and had COVID and just a, a train wreck of not I don't say that, that's strong, not a train wreck of a year, but it just threw him off his game. Maybe gained a little bit too much weight, as he said. 
mixing in with Kadari. COVID affected him not only by the pause, which takes you out of your game, but affected him physically as asthma and just kind of had to fight through that, right? So clear the deck, put him on the court. I think he's going to play big minutes. He could be one of the best distributors in the league. Not only because, you know, you're going to get some assists dishing off the buddy on the wing and Jimmy on the wing and Cole on the wing. Bing, bang, boom, there's an assist. The way he emphasized and was feeding the ball inside to Jesse, making a point to get in the paint a little bit, mix it up, draw the defense and dish. That's going to be really interesting to watch. But, man, Jesse looks really, really good. And to hear Alan Griffin say that Frank Anselm has made the best improvement from one year to the next of any player he's coached, is noted. And Syracuse could have a real one-two punch there in the middle, provided that they're granted patience by this staff. I mean, they're going to fight their way through some mistakes. We know the tolerance that Bayheim has for defensive miscues being out of place, and that can get you the quick hook to the bench, foul trouble, all those things. And we learned last night, we actually discussed this just before we got off the air last night, about Barama and, man, what more can they throw at this guy? Now his other knee is hurt. It was a procedure. He's going to be out for a month. Didn't seem to be serious, but he just can't get into that flow health-wise to contribute to this team. So they had been planning all along for Jesse and Frank to kind of be the one-two punch. And yeah, it doesn't hurt to have a little depth, a little experience and leadership from Barama's standpoint, but that was hard not to notice. I don't care who the other team is. How is Jesse flowing, getting open, attacking the rim, getting those passes from from Joe? That's going to be something really to watch for this team. The other things that you look at, we kind of knew. I mean, we went to DEFCON 2 for a minute there when Buddy's ankle was hurt, and he goes to the locker room, and you're like, oh, boy. Remember that old uh, great 80s flick war games, right? We, we all learned what DEFCON was at that point, and Joshua took us down to DEFCON 1, turned out to be a false alarm, right? Thankfully, on Buddy's part, that was the case there. Just looked to sprain his ankle a little bit. He'll be fine. We learned about Brahma, John Bolajak, a little uh, situation, too, that'll keep him out. So a couple of owies to steal a term from the football team right now. I think Jimmy Beheim. I'm curious to get Devo's thoughts on this in a few minutes. You can't directly compare players because Marek Dolzhai does one thing and Jimmy Beheim does another, but where I think you can tie the two together is they do just that. They tie the team together. They're the glue guys. But I think Jimmy has more skills than Marek. And I don't want that to be an indictment on Marek. Marek was so important to that that team and what he did in terms of rebounding, defense, going after it, sacrificing his body, losing teeth, right? Getting in the way of Zion Williamson, players that weigh 50, 40 pounds more than him and just saying, okay, I'm here to just stand in front of the wrecking ball. But could, could score, could make plays when needed, and somebody you could not ignore. Jimmy can obviously shoot the three. He can get inside. I have questions about the rebounding on this team, but certainly he can rebound, can kind of do it all. So there's a player that if you're going to get so focused on what some of the others out there are doing, he will burn you if left open. And you look up at the end of the night, and I realize it's one game, but I feel like this is going to repeat itself often. You're going to look up and be like, oh, man, Jimmy had 16 points. Defense? 
I have questions about. But because this team is so loaded offensively, because this team is so balanced towards the offensive side, I, I really think what this team has to do defensively is just just be just don't be bad. Not that you strive for such a thing. Guys, bring it in. Just don't be bad out there. No, of course not. You want to be the best you can be. And Jim was encouraged, and we'll play the clip later, about how some of the new faces in the defense are learning it, coming to it. He kind of broke down how the zone's not as complicated as some people make it out to be. It's just you got to know where you have to be in the defense. It's still going to take time. There are Syracuse teams that live and die by its defense. There are Syracuse teams that have made deep runs in the tournament because of their defense, because of the unknown and, and the factor of making the other team think about it and just you get hit in the face with that thing and you're not used to it, it can mess with you. And then there are teams that live on its defense because the defense is good. I think this team is going to be somewhere in between there. But bottom line, and I don't take this just from one exhibition. I take this just kind of thinking about the makeup of this team and now starting to get a sense of where the pieces in the puzzle fit. They just have to be good enough. Just make enough stops because the offense is so balanced and the offense is going to just come at you a million miles per hour and shoot a bunch of threes and challenge teams on the other end that just make enough stops. Whereas some teams need to create stops. The offense has to flow from the defense. So we'll see how that comes together because there's there's some new pieces in there that need to get comfortable. But overall, it's hard not to walk away, and again, one game paces the opponent, but just trying to take what you saw now, translate that into tougher opponents, translate that into what's upcoming, translate that into what they could be. And it's hard not to walk away thinking, these guys could be pretty good. I've had that vibe all along, and, and I, behind the scenes this week, Man, you're you're going to want to read, not that you wouldn't any other year, but our special section that we're doing for the Post Standard and Syracuse.com on basketball, both men's and women's basketball, I think you're, you're just going to be covered on all angles on this. There's some really interesting stuff that we're doing, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So I've been working on a couple things myself on that this week, and one of those things, of course, we put together are like the season predictions, and I've got a column coming out tomorrow, which you can read digitally, which will also be in the in the preview section, and just kind of, you know, really trying to look ahead and think about what this team can be. And every time I do that, I get a good feeling. It's hard to look at this team and not say, "Man, they can be good. This this is going to be fun. They're deep, and every year is different. Every story tells a different." Every story goes down a different path, if you will, for this team. They're going to have some bumps in the road. That early schedule, if they can get through that, look out. ACC is is what it is. But perhaps this is not going to be the same old script where things are going to be really stressful and you look up and it's mid-February and everybody's like, are they in, are they out, are they in, are they out, are they in? We get to Selection Sunday and you're just kind of, sweating it out, and they're in, and then they make a Sweet 16 run that nobody saw coming. Now, maybe they're just a Sweet 16 team because they're that good. I feel, I look at this team, and I'm like, okay, we got some stuff here. And that's not just based on one game, though that one game kind of starts to give you a, a actual credible things to look at that you were just kind of visualizing 
up to this point. I wonder how Eric Dievendorf feels. I will get the answer to that question, as you will, in about five minutes when he joins us here on the block ESPN Radio and QSportsTalk.com. Let's see how the market did on this Thursday first. A friendly Baldwin is here, and he does this all the time. He takes a look at stocks yeah, and says, how will they perform in the future versus how are they performing today and projections and looking ahead? And Lee, I mean, you, you just do this all the time like we do in sports, right? So how did things go today? Today's in the past, right? We've we got to move on and what are we going right, to do man. tomorrow? But it, That's right. One yeah, but it was a good... One day at a time, but it was a good, strong showing today, led by tech stocks up over 1% on the NASDAQ, and S&P was up almost 1%. So, yes, in the past, but we'll take it, and hopefully that gives us something to look forward to in the future. Uh, Diamond, I'm going to go with Canadian oil company Suncor, eh? Uh, up 13%. Oil's in favor again. And my dog, uh, it's kind of happening right now. Amazon's down uh, over 4% after hours. Uh, Earnings were a little light, but still much higher than last year. So there you have it. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Have yourself a great weekend. Always appreciate the insight. That's Lee Baldwin, folks. You know him, you love him. Go find him and his great crew in Kaz and Utica, LeeBaldwin.com. So you have all the diamonds and none of the dogs on your portfolio. Let's keep the hoops talk going and get a perspective from somebody courtside that was calling the game last night and a perspective we always enjoy. Eric Dievendorf next. Stay right there. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse Sports Talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Sure is, friends. Great to have you here on the Block ESPN Radio in our Burdick BMW opening drive. Jam-packed second hour on the way. We'll hear from uh, Coach Babers coming up, presented by CH Insurance, Preview Boston College. Final thoughts on what was a significant win for the Orange over Virginia Tech. Garrett Schrader kind of fully stepping into his own as starting quarterback. Uh, hot thoughts on Halloween. And we cover it all with the head coach. He'll join us coming up here in just a few minutes, as always here on Thursdays. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome, Coach. Always look forward to it. But while we're on the head coach front, uh, Jim Beheim stepped to the podium last night, first time in exhibition play, first time for the season, and uh, we're already in midseason form, folks. Forget Squid Game or anything you're watching on, uh, on, be it the internet, Netflix, Hulu, television, or other means. The best show in town is back, and that is the Jim Beheim press conference. So let's ease into it a little bit, just a, a few basketball thoughts, but then it veers off into other areas. On the zone, how are those new players learning the zone defense? I think that the one thing, the, the misconception is that it's hard to play this defense. It's really much harder to play man-to-man than it is to play zone. Even though we add things, do things, it's uh, much easier to get the zone in and get guys to understand what they do. It's not that complicated. And uh, I think that Cole and Benny and Jimmy have done a really good job of picking up what we're doing. Cy, uh, this team had a lot of guards that could drive and penetrate. I thought we did a pretty good job keeping them in front. And uh, again, it was a really good experience for us. Pace is a solid Division Three team, physical team. Cole, Benny, and Jimmy's the key there. I mean, Jimmy by osmosis should know and should get into it. You just have to get in the rhythm of it. You have to actually do it. Benny's a freshman. He's going to make freshman mistakes. I want to play a clip from Jim and, and get into Benny a little bit here in a moment. But he's 6'8". He'll get it. He'll figure it out. I'm not worried about Cole at all. 
Cole, who first of all is six foot nine, is long, works his butt off. I feel like that's a guy that's going to get it. I feel like that's a guy that I don't want to put an exact date on it here, but I have no concerns about him learning the zone. He just kind of has that presence about him. They had recruited Cole before, so maybe he had it in mind to know the zone, learn the zone. I think Jim, interesting there, saying, look, this is not as complicated as you make it out to be. We just make adjustments based on who we have, and you just kind of know have to know what you're doing and where to be. Devo was saying it earlier. We had Eric Devendorf on earlier if you missed it. You can always catch the interviews you miss at ESPNSyracuse.com in the audio vault. As long as you're staying active, it will hide those weaknesses and hide those mistakes in the zone. But let's jump to Benny here. Here's what Beheim said about Benny Williams. I thought he was active. Uh, I thought, you know, he made some freshman plays. You know, there's, you know, things he's going to get better at. He gets flat with his jump shot, and, uh, you know, when he gets it up, he makes it. It's, a, you know, it's, he's done a lot of work on it, but you can tell when he's going to miss, it's flat. And uh, it's something that, you know, it's just a work. It's going to take a lot of work. Uh, we're fortunate he's got veteran guys to play with him out there that's going to help him. But he can, he, he's a creative player and he can make passes. Uh, he really can get the ball, go get it, and rebound the ball. And uh, he's going to be really good. It's just going to take some patience and some time. That's 45 seconds that you should really soak in because I'm already starting to see it. Now, I reserve the right to change this opinion based on what I see. But it's just that, friends, based on what I see, because I'm already starting to see it out there. Why is Benny Williams not starting? Benny Williams needs to start. Somebody tweeted last night. Um, I wish I could give credit to them. I disagree. But I remember it was somebody. I should have noted who it was. Somebody who's usually like pretty spot on with their opinion. Somebody I agree with. Not that we agree all the time. That'd be boring. But it was along the lines of it's irritating that Benny's not starting. And I'm like, what are we doing here? You could hear the hesit- hesitancy is the wrong way to put it, but you could hear the caution in Beheim's voice. Like, he's doing some good things, he's a very talented player, going to be good, let me work with him. Can we stop with the ultimatums on October 28th? Knowing two things. One, he does have to get used to the college game. He does have to get his feet wet. He does have to figure some things out. And two, we know how this works, folks. Just because you don't start for Jim Beheim. Doesn't mean you're not going to play for Jim Beheim and play a big role. If you are tweeting or whatever forum you're putting this in, that Benny Williams must start on October 28th, you're looking for things to complain about. You're forcing it. And you're wrong. This is, don't, if you just want to be one of those people like, I told you back in October. Well, you can be an I told you so all you want. He doesn't have to start. And again, We get down the road here, and we see how things play out, and I'd feel differently about that. I have the right to change my opinion, as you do, based on what I see. But can we get a few games in here before we start laying out ultimatums about players, particularly freshmen? I don't care how many stars and how talented they are. Let them go out there and prove it. And you could hear, and that's not just Jim. Jim's going to tell it straight. If Jim felt he was ready, if he came in and was showing things maybe ahead of the curve and has to be out there. There's certain players that just out of the box, bing, bang, boom. Then he'd be out there and he'd be doing that. But there's a few things he falls short on that keep him from doing that. And it's 
October. It's one exhibition game. And I'm getting ultimatums from people out there. Just settle down. Repeat after me. Benny Williams does not have to start. Benny Williams does not have to start. Benny Williams does not have to start. Jim was asked, I thought this was interesting, our friend Mario Sacco, I believe, asked this question about, okay, so we went a whole thing in the summer with Coach Q. And what came out of that one way or the other was how hard you can push players. We're in a different era. We're in an era where players cannot be coached and just written off as, uh, well, that's old school. That's just how I do it. You have to adapt with the times and adapt with the players. Smart coaches do that, by the way. Here was Jim's answer. My coaching style has changed every year that I've coached. I do things slightly different or more this, more that. Nothing. You know, it's, everything changes, you know. But, you, you know, you, you you have to be for – you have to get players to play hard. And you – trust me, no player plays hard because you say, could you please do this? It doesn't work that way. You have to be pushing. I mean, there's no, you don't have to demean anybody or anything like that, but you have to push. You have to push to get the best out of players. Players and people always think they're working 100%. Well, no, they're not. And most people and most players working at 50 or 60, that's pretty good. So it's my job to try to get them as up as high as I can in their work ethic. And that takes a lot of push. You've got to push. You've got to be there every day. You've got to be consistent. And the players have got to be willing to understand that. And, you know, the good players that have played here in men's and women's basketball appreciated that. This is a noteworthy thing right at the end there because the framing of the question was about women's basketball. Clearly, Coach Q went over the line. Okay, when you're denying players um, their inhaler, when you're denying players water, when you're calling team meetings to find out who the rat is who reported him to compliance, all the details of that athletic investigation that I don't really need to go over again because I think you know by now what 30 sources did, and Coach Q resigned. Coach Q resigned without once coming out publicly and defending himself, him style, clarifying things, fighting back. Like I, th- I think that came to its rightful conclusion in a lot of ways. So I don't want to make this all about Coach Q and everything, but through the entire thing, and I said this multiple times on this show, what it did present one way or the other is how you can coach the modern athlete because there are modern athletes that want to be pushed. Tiana Mangakaihia was one of a few players, and it was interesting that the few players that stepped out and defended Q were all very successful. So obviously they were so competitive and worked hard to the point they wanted that tough love. But there was a fine line there, and obviously Q went over it. So to get Bayheim's perspective on that, I thought was pretty interesting, right? Because he's, you could hear him say it in there. I mean, he literally said it, but just kind of the, 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 the spirit of that. Like, you got to push players hard. Think about in recent days. He had a comment, I believe, at Media Day that it was asked about Kadari Richmond, or it came up somehow, and he said, well, he didn't work hard. Felt he was a talented player, would have played more here, would have naturally stepped up, but literally said he didn't work hard. Work hard enough, I believe, is what he said. We got the clip in here. I could play it, but 
what's that level of tolerance? What's that level of you? Because when we played a clip about Cole Swider earlier, it's one of the first things he said, works hard. So coaches have a certain measurement of, you look at that guy, he works hard. You look at that girl, she works hard. Whatever that level you reach with a certain player. But we've heard plenty of stories where they've gone over the line with that too. But what's that balance in this day and age? How do you coach younger people and adjust to the times as you go? Because what worked even last year might not work with this team. All right. One more here while we're talking about coaches. It'll it'll lead uh, nicely into our conversation with Dino Babers. But uh, as Jim wants to do, veered off the path a little bit. And uh, Dino Babers and recent coaching decisions came up, and Jim had thoughts. I don't think people understand. The coaches made, he made one big, you know, coaches don't make, it's not like the field goal. You go for you go fourth and two, you go field. Those are all tough calls. You can do those either way. The football coach made a decision this year that's, uh, that was completely, nobody saw coming, including me. I like football. And it was 100% the right decision. 100%. Gave them a chance to win every game they played. And I don't think they would have had those any of those chances if they did. And it's funny how people that predicted this football team would be three or four wins, and they got four wins, and they all think they're, they're doing terrible. All those same people that pre- predicted that think, well, they're doing terrible. Well, that's not what you thought two months ago. You know, this team's played their butts off. They really have. That's a tremendous admiration for what they've done. And they had to make one big decision that nobody wanted to make. Nobody would have made. And Coach Babers made it. And that was what turned the season into possibilities. It's still tough. It's going to be really tough. It's a tough league. I mean, uh, these teams are all pretty good. Maybe they're not great, but they're all pretty good. And uh, I was proud of the way they played. So Jim, uh, who's at every football game, big football fan, and certainly uh, has thoughts on the matter, there's there's a lot in there. I don't know if he was talking about me there because I've written and said some things pretty pointed on some coaching decisions that have been made, but obviously a lot of callers and people out there in the internet world, it gets to him one way or the other, have said this. So look, I feel like this team should have a better record, and I feel some coaching decisions are a result of that. I do. No one denies the Garrett Schrader decision is paying off. I, I disagree slightly. I mean, there's always detractors out there, but I don't think anybody was on the line of like, what are you doing with Schrader? It was more like when it happened and how it happened. It was two hours before the fourth game of the year, and everyone's like, well, okay, well, here we go, right? Now, I said from day one of training camp, Garrett Schrader is getting on the field. So this whole no one thought it was going to happen thing, I don't really think anybody was on that line. Did I think he was going to be the starter in game four? No, I did not. I will admit that. And it's paying off here. There is no question about that. That's a macro decision that they had to make that has obviously paid dividends here. And we'll see what happens in the last four games. But to this point, that's what essentially saved the season. No one's pushing back on that. But I do think there is a discussion about what you do on fourth downs and close decisions and close games and how that swung things one way or the other. Nobody denies this team is playing their ass off. No one. And if you don't think that, then I don't know what you've been watching. I wrote a column this week describing how likable they are, how easy they are to watch, and how relatable they are no matter what the record is. 
So I agree with that completely. I wrote a column today about Garrett Schrader. I mean, a year ago, this guy's in the, he announced his intention to go into the transfer portal. And now he was told by Mike Leach, he's a wide receiver. Here we are a year later. And he is now in Sean Tucker, Sean Tucker, but he is in full command of this offense. So what they have turned around and pulled off here in the middle of the season was as a result of the decision the head coach made. There's no denying that. None. I think some individual game decisions, I mean, we've talked that to death. I've made my opinion known about that, but the beauty of football, the beauty of sports is you get to another week, they got that big win over Virginia Tech, now can they kind of capture that and go into those last four games with what they need to do? Starting with Boston College on Saturday, so. The man that Jim Beheim was talking about there will join us next in our weekly conversation. Presented by CH Insurance. Plenty to discuss with Dino Babers, and we'll do it next. You stay right there.